scripture, I want to encourage you to, to follow along with that mindset, not as one's lost and one's saved, but they're both born again, but one is one doesn't have a home, and so he runs off in rebellion. One doesn't feel home, and so he runs off in religion. And the Bible says this in verse number 11. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of my goods that fall to me. So he divided, so he divided to them his sons his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered uh, all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all that he had, there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and, and he sent him into the field to feed the swine or the pigs. And he gladly would have filled his stomach with some of the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? But I perish with hunger. I will rise. I will go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, everybody say great way off. His father saw him, had compassion for him, and ran and fell, and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be married. And be married. For my son that was dead is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to be married. And now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and, and, and dancing. And so he called to one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come home, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him, and answered him, and said, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might be merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother who was dead is alive again and was lost. And now is found. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you address the issue of homelessness in our church. I pray that you address the spiritual issue and the physical issue of homelessness in our individual lives. God, as we go through the scenario of your scripture this morning, God, speak to our hearts. Change our life. Transform us into who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. As we kick off the message this morning, I want to reemphasize a point that I made last week, and that point is simply this, that people are not projects. People are not projects. Many times we get involved in ministry, and we get involved doing things in life, and we go through the day-to-day -day life of everything, and ministry keeps happening, and ministry keeps growing, and ministry keeps taking place. We begin to look at people differently, and we begin to look at people as projects and not as people. Such as, these are the ones in financial struggle, so let's, let, let's, let's figure out how to fix their financial issues 
and so they can be good again. And these other people, they struggle with uh, the issue of adultery or divorce or alcoholism or any other ism you want to throw out there. And we see them as a problem to be fixed, not a person who simply needs to be loved. And if we're going to make this place a home, we no longer can look at people as projects. We no longer can look at people and label them with issues to fix. We must look at people and say they are worthy to be loved because the Father has sent His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for them just like me. And when I look into the eyes of you, I don't look at you as a problem to be fixed, as a person who needs to be taught. I look at you as somebody who needs the love of the Father. And if we're ever going to see God make this house a home, I no longer can look at people as projects. I must look at people as needing to be loved. And watch what God begins to do in their life. When we begin to love people in the midst of their sin, in the midst of their environment, in the midst of their shame, how God can easily fix the shame, the sin, the problem when love is truly in place. And I'm not talking an earthly love. I'm talking the love of the Father. A love that's true. A love that can be felt. A love that can truly transform. And so as we jump into the message this morning, we must remember that even in the parable of the prodigal son, both sons were not lost. Both sons actually knew the Father. Both sons actually had a place in the house. And many believers feel the same issues as these two sons did. You have a place that you call home. You may have a membership here at TWBC or maybe at another church, but spiritually you're wandering. Spiritually you're a vagabond. Spiritually you continue to go from place to place, from lifestyle to lifestyle, from issue to issue because you haven't ever found a place to truly call home. And I want to give you the definition of home this morning. Home is where the presence of the Father is. So our only prayer at TWBC is this, Father, we want your presence. Love the song we sang this morning. I want more of your presence. I want more of your power. I want more of you, Lord. This morning, I want the presence of God in this place. I want God to do something amazing in our life this morning. And if home is where the presence of the Father is, his presence needs to show up. In Genesis, as long as Adam and Eve stayed connected to the presence of the Father in the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. They had warmth, security, provision, guidance, joy, peace, and abundant life. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he came to show us what an earthly life, earthly life could look like if a son stayed connected to the presence of the Father. When Jesus was at home, and he never left it, when he was home, look at the amazing things he did. Jesus was always home, by the way. The presence of the Father was always with him. Jesus came to show us what it would look like if me and you, us, the church, walked in the spirit of home or where the presence of the Father always is. He showed us what kind of lifestyle we could live. Not one where we don't have issues, but one where we get to go love unconditionally. When we see hungry, even the amount of 5,000, we can feed them. When we see hurting and a woman with the, with the issue of blood, he could heal her. And we can too. Amen. It's so important for us to stay in the presence of the Father and make this home. Because when home is in place, healing takes place. When home is in place, deliverance takes place. When home is in place and the presence of the Father is here, 
It's unbelievable what we can do. So it's our desire this year at TWBC that this is home where the presence of the Father truly, truly is. And so this morning, I'm going to challenge you for a second. Are you ready? Some of you are like, yeah. One, one person said, yeah. Everybody else like, I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I'm going to ask everybody to do this morning. I want everybody to take your shoes off. See, some of y'all, everybody's like, are you kidding me? I want everybody to take your shoes off just like this. I'm not going to, I'm going to take my shoes off. I need everybody to take your shoes off. Everybody take your shoes off. I'm guessing most of y'all took a shower last night or this morning and everything should be good with the feet issue. Everybody take your shoes off. Now, now here's the question. Here's the thing. Some of y'all felt so uncomfortable taking your shoes off. I mean, it just feels weird. And some of y'all, y'all, some of y'all still aren't even listening to me because you're worried about your feet. <laughs> Look up here and listen to me. When I go home from work, what I do is I drop my backpack or my baggage off at the door. Can I get an amen? amen. And I kick off my shoes amen. to relax because the presence of home is in place. Amen, the funny thing is, in church, I tell you to take off your shoes and everybody's freaking out. <laughs> that proves this isn't home. And some of you, this is the most vulnerable you've ever been in your whole life in church, sitting here without shoes on. <laughs> Come on. You've never been more vulnerable than this. Because some of y'all are thinking, I hope, some of y'all got your feet tucked under your chair so they can't see your feet. <laughs> and you've never been this vulnerable in church. Do you see how backwards church has been? Because we come in here and we think we got to get all dressed up when God says, no, kick your shoes off. In my presence, there's fullness of joy. There's peace and there's rest. And this morning, it's the cry of my heart that you would realize how not home this is and how homeless, even if you have a membership here, many of us really are, that you're truly wandering, that you're scared to take your shoes off. And when I read the Bible, the last time I remember is God said, Moses, take your shoes off. You're in my presence and the place you're standing is holy ground. See, God doesn't want anything between you and his presence, not even your shoes. He doesn't want anything between you and his presence. And so it's my heart that this becomes home. And if homelessness really is the issue, what is homelessness? What is actual homelessness? I don't know. I can't testify to it because I've never been homeless. I don't know. I can't tell you what it's like not to go home and to be hungry and to have a place to go lay down but, but live in fear because of everything going on. I don't know what it's like to be physically homeless. And so this past Friday, I, I went and talked to a very amazing lady in our community. She's the director of Community Chess Community Cupboard. Covered. Her name is Judy Moore. It's pretty enlightening about what homelessness is actually like. And I do want to take a moment and, and uh, say a special thank you to Miss Judy Moore. And she joined us in service this morning. And Miss Judy, thank you for amazing testimony.
And in that, if you've ever seen a person more passionate about seeing people's lives changed and showing them the love of Christ, it's Miss Judy Moore. And she works at Community Chest in, in Community Chest Community Cupboard in Sulphur Springs and is, is feverishly working on uh, eradicating hunger in our community and doing an amazing, amazing job at it. And the part that struck me the most is when she said she was a five-year-old little girl and she came to home, but the home was actually gone. And I realized that my youngest son is about to turn five, and I couldn't imagine him uh, living in a, in a city park, squirming in and out of bushes for safety, night in and night out for three months. And the part that, that really, really got me is she was so happy when the hunger went away because it quit hurting, <laughs> but that really meant she was closer to death than she had ever been. And I find so many people in the church wandering spiritually that we go from group to group or organization to organization or or, or thing to thing, or addiction to addiction, or person to person, just hoping that at one point, the pain will go away. And finally, if it's an addiction that you have, you do so much of the addiction that, that literally the pain is gone, but because the pain is gone, you literally don't realize you're closer to the end than you've ever really been. And we have people right here sitting in this building and I'm not going to pick on people, but I am going to say we have an issue of homelessness, of homelessness here at TWBC, where people come, and they come in Sunday after Sunday, but spiritually, they're still wandering. Spiritually, they're still looking for a place. Spiritually, they're looking for a place to belong, and you go night in and night out doing addiction after addiction or problem after problem or running to thing after thing or chasing dollar after dollar or trying to make up something to feel something because the pain that you have is so great. And if you can just do something for the moment to alleviate the pain, it's great. But that's not home. And God says this. Come home. Come home. And let me show you what home is really like. Because see, homelessness, the issue of it is so serious that in homelessness, two things happen. In homelessness, two things occur. You either run off in rebellion or you run off in religion. Because you're always searching for something. You're doing one or the other thing. And in the story of the parable of the prodigal son, he was truly a son. He truly knew the father, but he ran off in rebellion. And the Bible says in Luke 15, verse 3, And not many days after, the son gathered together everything he had and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. When there is no home, get this, when there is no home, when homelessness occurs and you run off in rebellion, sin becomes more blatant, not hidden. Sin becomes more blatant and not hidden. You're not worried so much about who you're impressing or who you're not impressing. You're worried and you're concerned about this one thing, and that is alleviating this issue, whether it be loneliness, whether it be fear, whether it be insecurity, whether it be uh, an addiction. You're so concerned about the inner struggles that are going on. You're willing to do anything to change it. And if sin's the answer, sin is the answer. Because at the bottom of that bottle, I don't feel any more pain. At the bottom of that bottle, all the pain is gone. And for that moment, I don't mind what everybody thinks of me because I don't feel pain in the moment. And the issue of homelessness is real in the church. Some of you go from relationship to relationship because in the moment it feels good to be wanted again. 
And you're not worried about the cost because your loneliness is gone for the moment. And in the issue of fear, you run as Jonah ran in the Bible. And he ran, and as Jonah ran, he ran in rebellion. And in his rebellion, God still got his purpose across. But you notice Jonah never came back, and it never has a happy ending. And it never says, and Jonah lived for the Lord the rest of his life. In fact, just the opposite happened. And Jonah stayed wandering as a homeless man, spiritually speaking, the rest of his life, or as far as we know. And my greatest struggle as a pastor is this, that we have spiritually homeless people in our church. And here's what happens, and Miss Judy said it best in their video, we embrace our circumstance, no matter what that may be, whether it be fear or shame or insecurity, we embrace our issue. And when we embrace our circumstances, homelessness leads to hopelessness. When we begin to embrace our circumstances or literally put faith in our circumstances, homelessness leads to something called hopelessness. And when we get to a place of hopelessness, we are literally at the most dangerous place ever in our life because when you endure a place of hopelessness, you don't even believe God can touch you anymore. Not touch, but reach you anymore. And when hopelessness occurs, there is a complete absence of of faith because the bible says this faith is the substance of things hoped for so when hopelessness sets in because of homelessness there's a complete absence of faith and faith is our only pathway to the father because you're saved by grace through faith and when homelessness occurs we embrace our circumstances then hopelessness occurs if the church doesn't become a home to welcome in the hopeless the hopeless are going to end up killing themselves and never having the chance to reach who God has called them to be do you see why it's so important for this place to become home and become a place where people run to instead of run from it needs to be a place where when you feel the urges in life and you want to run in life and you want to get away from your circumstance, you get to run to the home, not run from the home. The Sunday mornings when you don't feel like getting up, you get up because you get to come to the home, not run from the home. And see, homelessness causes you to do one of two things. The first one is go into rebellion. And when you go into rebellion... You really don't care what the world thinks. You really don't care what they say about you. Because in rebellion, you have your place of security. Or so you think. In rebellion, you have your place of what makes you feel comfortable. What makes the pain go away for a time period. What fills the loneliness for a, for a minute or two. What makes the fear go away for, for, for a, a designated time period. In rebellion, you're just looking to alleviate the pain that you're feeling. But in the end... Homelessness leads to hopelessness. And when hopelessness occurs, you're at the most dangerous point of your life that you've ever been. And I say that very pointed this morning because there are some people reaching the verge of hopelessness. That your family will never be restored. That, oh, you're just putting on this great act and we come to church all the time and, and people think we're doing so good, but in reality we're running. And literally, we're at the place of hopelessness. And if you've embraced your circumstance, that your marriage is over, your homelessness is leading to hopelessness. If you've embraced the fact 
that I'm always going to have this issue. Your homelessness is leading to hopelessness because you believe you can never be changed. And when you believe you can never be changed, the power of God becomes a non-factor in your life. Do you understand why the Bible calls the church the hope of the world? It should be us that when people start running in rebellion, they run to, not run from. I've said this time and time again, and I'll probably say it the rest of my life. There's something weird about the church when sinners ran to Jesus, but they run from the church. Jesus offered them a hope that in the midst of their rebellion, if I can go to this man, he'll give me something. The woman with the issue of blood, her homelessness led to hopelessness. And the only thing she said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'm at my last straw anyway. I've done spin all I've had. The doctors haven't even helped me. In fact, I've become worse. There is no other option. I just got to touch this man, Jesus. What if the church took on that mindset? That world, when you're at your end, we got a place for you. We got a place for you to come in, to fit in, to plug in, and watch God do something amazing in your life. We got a way and an avenue to bring healing into your life. But our objective as a church is not to fix you, it's to love you. Our objective as a church is not to fix you, it's to love you. And I'm so reminded of what Jesus did with his disciples. You know, Peter was a fisherman, correct? And I'm guessing he did not have the best language in the world. You're out on a fishing boat. Listen, y'all have seen Deadliest Catch. (laughs) Act like you haven't. Y'all have seen Deadliest Catch. What happens on a fishing boat? Words that said on a fishing boat. Jesus called Peter off a fishing boat and brought him and listen to what he said. He said, Peter, follow me. He did not say, Peter, I'm going to fix you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you look good. And then you can be seen with me. And then you'll be recognized with me. No, this is what he said to Peter. He said, Peter, follow me. Because when you belong to me, you'll begin to believe like me. And when you believe like me, you'll behave like me. See, he did this to Peter. He said, Peter, come along with me. And one and a half to two years in the midst of the journey, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, who do you now say that I am? And he said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. For two years, Peter belonged to him before he believed like him. And then once he confessed him, he began later when he was reinstated to behave like him because he went around healing the sick, um, taking care of the hurt, the broken, the lost, and the dying, and changing the world. As the church, when people are in rebellion and running, we need to grab them and hug them and love them and say, come to a safe place. Come be with us in the midst of your alcoholism, in the midst of your sexual abuse, in the midst of your depression. In the midst of your misery, in the midst of your divorce, in the midst of your childhood issues, in the midst of everything going wrong, your anxiety, whatever it may be, come and just be with us because we know if you be with us long enough, you're going to start to believe like us. And when you start to believe like us, you're going to begin to behave like us and the joy of the Lord is going to come upon your life and that depression that you once had is no longer going to be an issue because you've been with us long enough that the presence of the Father has touched your life. See, when you walk through those doors, I don't see a person that needs to be fixed. 
I see a person that needs to be loved. And when I see a person that needs to be loved, I'm not sitting here advocating sin and saying it's okay, but I'm saying if I love you long enough, hard enough, you're not going to begin to, you're not going to be able to rebel against the presence and love of the Father. You will come to know him. And so my issue is not to fix people. My issue is to learn to love people in the midst of where they're at. So the first thing that happens in the midst of homelessness, in the midst of homelessness, rebellion occurs. But if rebellion doesn't occur, the other thing occurs, and it's called religion. And Luke 15, 29 says, And so he answered and said to his father, These many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of us. God, why did they get healed? I never do anything like that. See, on the other hand, if you're not running into rebellion, you're running into religion. And I think the most power, to me personally, the most powerful part of Miss Judy's testimony was this. She said, I became the perfect child. I became who everybody else wanted. I would even redefine myself to who they needed so I would be accepted. That was the way I ate. Oh, my heart broke when I heard her say that. I tried to hold the camera still. If you notice, it got a little shaky at that point. And when I heard her say that, I was like, how many people in the body of Christ are running to a place, but the place they're running to is religion, not a home. It's religion and not a home. And so many people in their life, they begin to run. And so the religion, it addresses the issue of fear, shame, insecurity, loneliness, homelessness by attempting to build a house to prove your worth rather than by going to a home where God says, you have worth in my house. See, my greatest struggle is this. It's not rebellion, it's religion. Personally, it's, it's religion. If I do more, God will love me more and be more impressed with me. If I fast another day at the end of my fast, it'll prove my obedience to God. And he'll be pleased with me because I fasted another day. And, and she said it best. She said, we begin to gain acceptance and, and do what we do because we become overachievers. And we work harder than anybody else. And we do more than anybody else. And we make our way to the top and we make something of ourselves to prove that we have worth and value. Oh. And so many people come into the church. And you think, if I can just learn how to sing, I can get on the worship team and then I'll have value. Or if I can pray like some of these ladies pray, I need to learn how to pray better so then I can be a part of this group and then I'll have value to the church. Or if I could just teach or preach like, like Pastor Damon or Pastor Jeff, then I'll have value and the church will accept me. No, you could not be more wrong. Because your value is not in your gift. Your value is you. It's you. Without a gift, without a talent, your value is you. Because the Bible says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son that who would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life for them, not their gifting. Your gift does not give you value. You are what is valuable. So valuable that God says, I'm going to put a gift in you. The most precious things in heaven, I'm going to put inside of you because you have that much value. But in the church... We come here and, 
instead of kicking our shoes off, taking our backpack off, and resting and being made at home, we dress up all the more. We put on our spiritual makeup. I have never transgressed against God this week. Oh, and bless those at the altar because they must need Jesus more than I. Oh, do, do, do we understand? And no, I run to the altar because it's my place to drop my baggage. <clears throat> it's my place to call home. It's my place to let it out and say, Father, change my life. I tell you, when I go home, it's fun taking off the baggage and not having to be somebody I'm not. Not having to be Pastor Joel because everybody in the community, when they see me in Walmart, if I don't just act just right or if I get frustrated at the cashier at Walmart, then they're going to say, oh, did you see what he did? I don't, there's, there's not an act anymore when I walk into the house. And you know, me and my wife, we did something a couple years ago that, that, that changed my view of home. And it was in our communication because we have great communication in our house. I'm telling you. I mean, it's top, top notch. I mean, if you flip it upside down, if you flip it up, it's top notch. I mean, it is there. And man, we were just, both of us were going through some things and having a rough time. And, and, and I said, we just need to qualify our conversations. I'm like, honey, I'm fixing to just unload and I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to take care of it. I don't need your advice on it. I just need to let it out. <laughs> I need to just drop the baggage of the day. And you know, she just sat there and she listened. She didn't try to fix it. She didn't try to make it better. And in the end, it was, it was great. And then she could do the same thing. She said, I'm more qualified. I'm just venting. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to worry about it. I can take care of it. I'm a capable woman. I got my own business degree. Joel, I can handle the business that I'm in. I just need you to listen, not to fix it. Basically, she was saying, love me as a person. I'm not somebody that needs to be fixed. And now when I go home, I can just, first thing I do is take my backpack off, and I kick my shoes off, and I can go in, and it feels like home. Where religion, on the other hand, says just the opposite. When you come in, you better have your baggage so well hidden nobody notices it. You better make sure that your wife is so in order that people look to it and look up to it. You better make sure everything is so good and so perfect and build this great house that people admire and want to see. But the thing about religion, it can build a great house, but it can never be a home. It can build a great house, but it can never be a home. Because I notice even as much as in my house... I have two little boys, and I'm a neat freak, OCD. My shirts are in color-coded order. I mean, it's, it's the way it is. But when it's a home, stuff gets messed up sometimes, right? When it's a home, I got two little boys that do spill their milk on my wife's computer, and we lose all our pictures and everything else. When it's a home, things happen. Things occur. And it's not perfect. Religion says you must be perfect. 
A home says, come and abide with me in the presence of the Father because I know you're not perfect. A home is where the presence of the Father is. And if you'll abide there, he'll accept you in spite of your imperfections. That's why he sent Jesus. He'll take you and he'll love you even where you're wrong. And God's ultimate goal is not to fix you. He knows if you stay long in his presence long enough, you'll automatically change. Because he's a good, good father and his love is that transformational. As I close this morning, I'm going to close with this point. The difference between rebellion, religion, and a home is this. If the topic is fear, in rebellion you run from it. In religion you overcompensate for it. In a home, the father says, don't be afraid. I didn't give you a spirit of fear. I gave you a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. 